All right, you guys, welcome to this episode of the Outrun Show with your hosts, Travis, Justin, <laughs> and Jesse, <laughs> co founders of Outrun Parkour and Movers Coaches Extraordinaire. On this episode, we're talking about the tip, tips for balance in parkour. And the subject of the conversation today is do we only have a very small window of time? in our lives to train and achieve what we want in parkour. Sensitive topic. Sensitive topic. That answer and more on this episode of The Outrun Show. All right, so let's, uh, let's kick it off. We're talking about balance first, and so balancing on rails, balancing on the uh, at height. What are the what are the tips you guys have for balance? I think that when most of the time we're approaching parkour, balance is super important because anytime you start to introduce height, having control over that uh, where you're at in height is important. But also, it's one of those skills early on that's like a um, an easy hard skill in that. People look at it, they see someone balancing on a rail, even just inches off the ground, and they try it and they can't do it for any amount of time. But then over time, you know, usually after just a few weeks of training or a few months, people can acquire that skill and it becomes sort of like, it becomes impressive to them because they remember coming in and the frustration of not being able to stand for any amount of time and then growing that. So what are your tips for balance uh, that anyone can use and it's or when they're getting started with balance? Or maybe somebody's stuck on balance. You don't fix that. Are you doomed to a poor vestibular system? Yeah, actually, uh, I feel like you should give a disclaimer to your, your head injury. Oh. Because you have some experience with balance that we don't have. Yeah. Yeah, because my head's solid, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, what Jesse's saying is I'm damaged goods, and he's still... We're, we're <laughs> damaged goods, okay? Yeah, right. Not anymore. Not anymore. So I think that I actually, for a long period of time, had like a, a, like, just like, when you have your weakest, you have your weakest physical link, it shows up when you're, when you're sick or weak or tired or don't get enough sleep and whatnot. And for me, I think that's always been balanced, balanced to some degree. For some reason, I get dizzy every once in a while. You get headaches. Yeah. And what, you have inflammation? I don't know what yours is. Like, what goes first consistently? Uh, yeah, I get, like, from my long hours at a computer... Um, I get like carpal tunnel or like tendonitis. Right, little tendonitis stuff. Yeah, which can affect like my grip when I go to do parkour stuff. Yeah, yeah, I mean, nothing I've, major. I've done that for but, years now, so. But you just know it as you're. I've been counteracting it as much as I can. But smart people will will notice that instead of like thinking, well, you may be identifying a chronic illness, but instead of instead of just like judging it, just using it as a as an early warning for the. You don't, so like there's some deficit, not enough sleep, not enough nutrition, too much stress, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's how I use it. So when you get your little headaches, you're definitely like checking your lifestyle, right? Yeah. Yeah. And when I get dizzy or tinnitus or whatever. Anyway, so I had a concussion, which was the lamest concussion ever because I was doing an A twist in the foam pit and I was had jumped in a class that Justin was teaching the adult acrobatic class, which was my class to teach. I don't know, was it team class? No, it was the adult class. Or was it team class? Can't remember, it doesn't matter. Um, it was adult, yeah. Yeah, and so I, uh, we were doing stuff in the foam pit and I was just hucking like 
the hardest like a twist I could because I was going to the foam pit and I wasn't worried about my landings. And there was like a raft in there that was the one of the little floaty yeah the foam devices. So odd objects in foam pit, watch out. And I and I just started like hucking the hardest a twist with no regard for my safety as possible because I'm going to foam pit. And then I when I lay when I laid out backwards and down. I whipped my head against the, a thicker mat that was in there, which was super lame because it was still a mat. But it's still foam. Yeah, literal two inches of foam. It was mat. literally two inches. But I think foam. it was that the mat was backed against the wall of the yes. pit and you hit the side. And so it, it's meant to compress this way. Yeah. And when you hit your head on the side, it was already against the wall, right? Yep. So when you hit it, it was essentially a firm surface. Yep. Which is like, like a, an edge. A very, like you have like maybe a five degree window at which you can hit the map in that exact position that it would do anything to you. And it would literally have to be only your head to feel it. It was a perfect fail. You're was, right. Yeah. And I consider it a defining moment in life. And I bring it up even though it was a very, it was not that big of an injury is because all through, throughout my life, I've always used movement as not escapism, but a way to deal with any sort of stress. So if life's stressful, I'm training. You know, I would be addicted to movement multiple times or just when everything's like rough, you just go, you train, you feel better. And I had some, like, I don't know if like one of the calcium crystals or just just stress in life in general and just the fatigue of recovery from, you know, even like a, just a little mild concussion left me with like dizziness, vestibular stuff for, you know, a, you know six months or something like that. And that just turned into anxiety, like fear around always like, oh, what if I hit my head? A lot of people who have these types of injuries have that sort of unreasonable fear about stuff afterwards. It's, it, I found out later on that that's very common. But part of it was rebuilding my vestibular system um, because I always kind of felt like I was like falling in a direction or something like that, or I'd get, get dizziness. And so the, you know, getting back to being able to do balance and things like that um, with, with confidence is, is something that just that took time and repetition and humility because I usually would escape to movement to, to feel better. But well now when I went to my escape, I felt worse. <laughs> so I was more drawn to like just playing time on the computers or doing like work instead of, instead of actually working on that. But balance was always my best indicator of health, if that makes sense. So that's why I think it's important to me is because to me balance is a really good indicator of physical health and your level of stress. You know this because if you come into class and you're warming up with balancing on rails and you're super stressed out because you're thinking about, you know, you're not mindful in that moment, you're not in that moment, your head is just like frayed, you're, you know, the monkey mind is all over the place and you come in and you try and balance and you won't be able to so oftentimes. And then you have to stop like, okay, am I thinking about work? Am I thinking about life? Am I thinking about school? And then you kind of calm. It's a good way to check yourself. So that's one of the reasons I like it. I think it's so important is that you have to be focused. You can't. Yeah. So that, uh, kind of a long story on our part, but essentially to say like, it is very possible that you have some sort of like vestibular inner ear, like issue that you can train yourself out of, but don't be too hard on yourself. If that is what you're coming back from is like a head injury and your balance sucks. Don't be like, Oh my gosh, it's hopeless. You can work your way out of it. But do keep in mind that that's, that's a physical thing that you have to overcome. Whereas most of balance is simply a neurological thing that you just need to train and get repetition in. So if you're like, if you're struggling there because of a head injury, like don't, don't sink into like some dark depression because mm -hmm. you think you'll never be able to balance again. It is hard um, to not do that. As a matter of fact, I think that was the, maybe my adult life, the only time I'd experienced any kind of depression. Um, but 
that it was it was funny because I had a PT who was a who was a neurologist and or had a PT and a neurologist and they um, were telling me that it was most likely that I had always had so this is on the physical side that I most likely always had problems with my vestibular system hmm. genetically but that I had but that through movement I had built up compensatory systems strong compensatory systems and that the head injury like weaken those systems and just just expose an underlying issue interesting that's what their hypothesis was i don't know if that's true or not but i could understand that and also to your point when you have people come in because i've had especially adults come in or kids who are younger parents tell us i have a kid who has a vestibular vestibular issue they come in they train and they've gotten better so these are people who understand that there is a physical deficit but that compensatory systems can be built around it it's like when a tree grows around a house to, to still make it. It's like, ah, eh, you, you know, yes, you're right. You'll never grow through that concrete, but you can grow around it. It's just harder. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't still try to try to grow. Right. Yeah. So don't you let it hold you back, but let's talk about the tips. Like, I just feel like a lot of people walk in, they try a rail balance or something. They're horrible at it. And then they're like, I give up. I'm bad at balance. Yeah. My, my first tip is it's all about volume. So yeah. if you're brand new to balance, it is all about doing more balance. Um, you know, at the gym, we obviously have ground rails that are, you know, two, three inches off the ground so that when you do fail, it's, you don't fall and you're not hurting yourself. Obviously start there, but balance on everything, curbs, rocks, the cracks in the floor on the, of the concrete when you're walking, um, whatever you can, you know, and, and if you can, you know, get a, get a ground rail, get some sort of platform and balance because it is just about volume. It's yeah. all about training and there's no like, you know, loading and deloading cycles that you need to do for balance. You just, you need to get in there and you need to fail and fail. And that feels very frustrating. But if you just take pleasure in knowing that you suck at something and that every time you fail, your, your, your brain is getting a little more data. It's all about data, right? Mm -hmm. And so the more balancing that you do, the more data that you get, the better your brain can compensate when you get on that rail as to what it knows because it's like, ah, we know what it feels like to fall this way. And you're not making the decision to, uh, you're not making the subjective decision of success around balance. Lots of times when we jump, if it's a poor quality jump, but you were still able to jump, you give yourself credit, but neurologically, not as much is going on, mm -hmm. right? And same thing with balance, but you fall off. So there's no lying to yourself about whether you were good about balance or not. <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm a great balancer. But you fall right off. Nope. No change in that story. Oh, the wind, maybe. I don't know. But yeah. the, other, the other thing with the, the neurological aspect of volume and in balance is that it's also something you don't have a lot of choice over other than the choice to train it. A lot of what's happening is subconscious. So a lot of subconscious learning. And if you're not used to letting go and letting your body adapt and not judging it as you go through that process of failure, that's that in itself is a skill. It's just to be able to trust in the process. Yep. Yeah, also the failing and, and balance is kind of where you learn the most. If you're standing there on the rail and you're perfectly straight and you never fall off, you're not learning any more balance. <laughs> you already have the balance you have. So the the uh, the best experience is when you're you're falling off and you're fighting it. And you're making adjustments. Maybe you know you're gonna fall off, but trying to save the the balance is what makes you way better at balance. 
So if you're if your balance is just standing there and you've got that for I don't know like twenty seconds, uh, it's time to start falling off the rail. Yeah. What do you think the the them. main yeah to introduce uh, um, variables and change? It, well, how how much time should you just be able to do a static rail balance maybe on the ground before you think you should move on to introduce that change? Because at some point it's like new people I see like like they can't even spend ten seconds. Yeah. They're just like they continue and that and that type of falling around for five minutes is not going to give you the same value as actually trying to be able to hold ten. How how long do you think it is? I think it's thirty seconds on each foot. Probably good enough to start doing other things then. You're talking about um, so if you're looking at a rail balancing on one foot while looking parallel. Yeah, we're looking along the length of it yeah. rather than perpendicular. Yeah. Oh, really? That's it. When you're saying yep. one leg. Because one leg perpendicular to the rail is, is that's kind of high level, actually, for balance. Yeah, if you're, oh, if you're like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. perpendicular. Yeah. You're oh, standing yeah. on that's it. very hard. Yeah. And one leg. So, okay, I just wanted to make that. So, yeah, 30 seconds with your foot along the bar. You're looking down the length of the bar, and you've got 30 seconds on each foot. And you can switch back and forth. That's that's pretty much... Then you can start walking and, and picking up the pace and going to another rail. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely easier than, yeah, being perpendicular to the rail, where you're where both toes, both the balls of your feet are both on the rail, and you're not facing the direction that the rail is running. Yeah, yeah. You would be, like, in a precision position or, like... Exactly. Like where you would do like a, yeah, that one's harder, but that's actually where I start my adults for, and yeah, we go for 30 seconds to yeah. a minimum to a minute. So I agree with that. Yeah. Like for time things, I actually don't, with my clients, I don't introduce, um, the, like a strict actual 30 seconds or something like that until I know that they have a decent understanding of balance. What I actually do is I ask them to hop on the rail if they're brand new to it, I say, I want you to get to a 10 count in your head before you fall off. I don't care what the pace is. So you can hop on the rail and be like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then fall off. Or if you feel like you're you're doing really good, you can count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Right? Which are not seconds. So it's not ten seconds. So mm-hmm. like you have a ten count. And the reason I like that is because A, they're in control of whether or not they get to complete that goal. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of like a reward system there because they're trying to get to that number before they fall off. And when they do, regardless of whether like I'm not handing out like lollipops or anything like that, but that's, that's a, I set a goal. I met the goal, right? There's some, some reward incentive cycle there, which I'd like to see. And it's also easier for them because holding onto a stopwatch or watching a clock or something on the wall or counting in your head is just another thing. Right when you're trying to count one one thousand, two one thousand, mm-hmm. three one thousand, so just just having them just like you can count to ten, just count to ten, get to ten before you fall, count as fast or as slow as you need, and then I would up that to like thirty. And once they're getting to like thirty, where they can count to thirty before they fall, then we I start to introduce time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for, for any sort of like major variable, thirty seconds on rail is really good. Yeah, that's pretty good too because when you're you're. You're gonna you're gonna fall at the end of your whatever your timeline is in your head. Yep. So we're counting to ten, and you're doing it one, two. You're gonna start falling at seven and eight, and then you're squeezing these extra these super uh, super kung fu moves to try and stay on the bar between those last two seconds. And I think those are the really golden That's learning opportunities. Time, yeah. Mm. yeah, I also think for some reason the mind just doesn't work that way where it's like not setting a timer for a minute. It has a difficult time perceiving time in that manner. It's more objective-based, right? So it's, it's like the, the longest minute you'll ever do is in a freestanding handstand. 
Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, ah, oh, it's got to have been a minute. What are we yeah. at? 26 seconds. No! No! Yeah. yeah, that's so true. But, okay, so then there's some physical things, too, I think, that can be done with balance. Like, I've found a very strong correlation between, like, just calf and ankle flexion and balance. Like, okay. if you take somebody who's got really weak ankles and is always sitting in that, like, hyperflexion, right? Like, it meaning that the toe is starting to pour more and more towards the shin. Um, then to have, to make adjustments in the ankle, it's actually very difficult. And I prefer to teach and train balance where I have my heel above the ball of the foot. And oftentimes I see people just collapsing the ankle and like sort of desperately trying just to make sitting it. sitting on like the bone on bone of but, ankle. Yeah, at the end range of flexion, flexion, right? Yeah. Yep. And the, and the bottom part of flexion. And then they're just trying to like make adjustments with their arms and, and, and knees. And I have some tricks that I like to teach for that. But I think that probably the easiest strength hack, if I'm going to use a strength hack for balance, would be to develop really strong calves and ankles and even feet to some degree because you're on the ball of the foot and mm-hmm. that, and that, and there is flexion that's happening in the sole of the foot. And yeah. um, maybe because what you may find is that if you can't make 30 seconds in balance, like let's say you are timing yourself, which I don't like too much too, because you're looking at a clock, you're, the focus isn't on yourself. It isn't on your balance. You're looking at something over here. It's almost like, you know, you're, you're a hunter focusing on the prey, but you know, the, you're trying to build the ability to like, hunt as a weapon or something anyway that's a bad analogy but no one against me um these so what i'm what i am saying though is that i've seen people who have been like i can't make it to 15 seconds i can't make it to 30 seconds in balance and then i'm like okay let's try just i'm going to put you in that position of, of of flexion calf flexion and you're going to stand just on the ground and then they can't make it because they start to cramp up in the calf or they start to cramp oh, up in the yeah. sole of the foot I'm like, okay, well then, you know, you can try <laughs> yeah, all you want. Yes. Your, your foot isn't even strong enough to balance for that long. So do calf raises, you know, do uh, um, some standing flexion, right? Some isometric training for your the balls of your feet first. Yeah. Because yeah. that can happen. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point too. And kind of goes back to our earlier point of like, um, it's all about volume for balance, right? Is that like a lot of those times it is a soft tissue thing as well. And so... It's not like you can just train it for two weeks and suddenly you're good. You have to get that volume in there over a long period of time so that you get that adaptation in, you know, and then that ankle gets stronger as a result of balancing, right? You're not, not only is your vestibular system getting trained, but you have some physical adaptation happening down in the ankle. So, yeah. And so it's actually back to your first point, which was, you know, it is volume, physical volume too. Yes. You know, that's still volume is the answer to that one. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. And then the other thing I'll say, a little tip, we were talking about split squat. Was it last week or the week before? Oh, wait, hold on. I got it. Oh. On balance? On balance. You're, you're, you're trying oh. to just keep that one? Well, Colin, wait, the producer last, showed me the clock, yeah. so I'm just trying to do that. <laughs> no, my last thing is that I don't, I, so we can have a small discussion on this, but I don't think you should ever tell people to look at something that's still while they're balancing. Why is that? For parkour, I don't ever see the use of staring at something that you're not moving on, whether it's directly, whether it's, you know, 10 feet in front of you or if it's off to the side. But the number one mistake that people are going to make when they're balancing, if they're walking along the bar or they're jumping between bars, is that they miss their feet. And if you're not looking at your feet, then you're going to have a higher chance of missing the object you're trying to step on, especially when it's only an inch wide. So... If you're balancing, you're walking along the bar, or you're working on between jumping between the bars, um, I feel like you have to look at your feet. Mm. I think the bar is still enough 
just look at the bar if you really need to find something that's like not moving and you believe in that philosophy which I don't really know if that's true or not but when I move and when I see kids make the most mistakes it's because they're not it's not because they're not looking at their feet they're looking at the box ahead of them and then their feet are completely off <laughs> they're mm-hmm. misaligned they're like it, and you only need half an inch to be misaligned for your foot to slip off the bar so mm-hmm. and and this is something I learned when I was doing slacklining because I heard this uh this tip a lot when I was slacklining but when you're slacklining the your foot is like this when you're first learning and when you start to look at it, it it wavers like this and so if your foot's you're trying to put your foot down over here and and it's wobbling like this you, you have to look down to see that you're going to miss it and so and that's where i that's where i developed that technique where just i'm looking at my foot and i'm knowing whether the the bar is moving or the the slack line is moving then i know to put my foot down on the on the obstacle so mm. i don't think you should i don't think it works it maybe it makes sense for like a toddler learning balance on like a two by four but if it's parkour you gotta look at what you're jumping on because sometimes it's not there well a lot of good just as to say it, at some point you'll get to a high enough level where you can you know you know the rail runs straight and you've walked and ran on enough rails that you're like okay I yeah. know what it feels like but when you're training it for the first time it's super important because we see a lot of the times where kids walk on a rail and they're going heel to toe and they look up because they're getting close to the end of the that yeah. section yeah and then this foot slides and they do this like they roll essentially from the outside of the ankle all the way up their thigh along the bar and then they get like flipped right yeah and it doesn't take much if you're standing on a rail and you miss one step and you lean onto that foot that's all of your weight so if you're a kid you're sick all 60 pounds going right on your thigh on a metal bar and if you're an adult, it's just really unfortunate. Right. <laughs> you're probably, you know, anywhere from 110 to 190 pounds on average. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of weight to go right on the thigh. Like, if you ever had a Charlie horse from a friend punching you, imagine a rail slapping into your leg. Yeah, and I think that the worst is that you're gonna just going to get dumped upside down. Yeah, and then, yeah, an insult to injury after the bar punches you in the thigh, <laughs> it's going to flip you on your head. Or rib check, yeah, or hip check, yeah, suitcase <laughs> yeah. over the bar. So this is why I don't that's let... A, that's a good point. Like, look, look where your foot's going when you're practicing, and when you get better, you can start to look elsewhere. The, this is why I don't let... For the, until much later in their practice, adults off the ground anymore. Off the ground, yeah. You know, because <laughs> I see I had a couple suitcase early on, and these were early. These were actually people who were pretty experienced. I had you know one one um, adult athlete suitcase on like some four foot rails, and the outcome was not great. So, you know, I'm just like ah, you know, there's just so much risk for the reward. Like you can get the same stimulus. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be climbing something else. It's a little thicker. You have a good time. It's not worth it just yet. You you take that journey on your own. We'll, we'll get you there. But I'm not going to introduce that to you just as an experiment to see what happens, right? So what the I think that it's it's funny that you that you bring up the the visual stuff um, so um, directly because I mean that's actually part of the vestibular system. So the vestibular system is made up of the inner ear. You have uh, your sense of sight that's also incorporated into the into into the vestibular system. And your sense, your sense of touch. So you're sort of trying to figure out where, um, but the primary components of the vestibular system are going to be, your, or is going to be the inner ear and actually your eyes, right? They actually are very, very heavily involved in it. So where you look matters because your body is getting feedback about balance based yeah. on where you are. So this we know also, this. That's also why balancing up high is very difficult too, because your eyes are trying to adjust to the ground below you. Yeah. 
Um, so this is why looking at your feet can be difficult because you're looking 10 feet below you if you're on a 10 foot bar or you're looking two feet below you if you're on a two foot bar. But, but your feet gonna... are right there, right? So that change in depth perception can throw you off. Right, and, the, and, and you're still taking in peripheral data, yep. meaning that even if the focus is on the foot, you're still gathering data yep. from the outside field of vision, yep. and that's going to have an effect on not only your vestibular system, but also your confidence, right? Yeah. Yep. And that's why sometimes if you are looking forward and you're at height, you know, you, you your risk is you don't know where you're stepping, but the benefit might be... You're not oh, yeah. afraid okay. of... This, this is my advice right there. I'm going to jump in. If you have to look at something ahead of you and you're working on balance at height, you're on the wrong progression. I like it. Yep. You cannot be up on an eight-foot bar and looking dead ahead of at the, you know, the wall that's now, I don't know, 16 feet up in the air. That's, yeah, absolutely no. If you're on the bar, you need to be comfortable with looking at your feet because that's the worst bail when you slip on the eight-foot bar. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that skill where you're looking at your feet and you're balancing at the same time, that one needs to be done on the ground first. So the, that's another reason to look at the feet because now you're also checking your comfort with height, overall comfort with height, mm. your overall fear of height. So I, I like that too. Um, the uh, Do I, do either of you guys train balance with your eyes closed? Because that's completely yes. taking a factor of the vestibular <laughs> yeah. system away from you. Very difficult. I don't train it on purpose, but it's fun to try. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do it on ground rails when I'm bored. <laughs> mm. I'm being honest. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just don't anticipate. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's some benefits there. Maybe that's another topic as we're kind of dragging on now on our skill tip. But... Um, I don't ever train it because I don't anticipate that I'll ever do balance at height while blinded. And if I'm blinded, I'm probably going to stay on the ground. <laughs> like, like, well, I think low light might be... There's uh, no risk. Low light is... Low light's Especially for flips. Like, that's another tough one. Like, low light and flips, is they're almost the same thing as doing it, like, at nighttime. So that's be true. careful with that. Or, like, when you're at a performance and there's, like, strobing. Yeah. Like, nobody thinks about that. Mm-hmm. When they're like, yo, you want to, like, come and do some flips? And you're like, yeah, I'll do some flips. And then you get there... And it's like a like a rave, and you're like, oh my god, <laughs> I've only done a cork in a very well lit spring yep. floor, or even like in a daylight in a parking lot, right? We, now we, you're in a dark room with like flashing lights all over you. The floor looks the same as the sky. It's we, all about can you? Just we had a performance it? like that just a couple years ago where the um, the beat boy crew, the Focal Flavor crew, was like, oh come with us oh, to yeah. the show, and they're like, oh we just need you guys to flip off this stage. And I was like, well, the lights are in my eyes and the stage is some depth. I don't know where the <laughs> ground is and I'm on the edge of it. And then there's speakers and wires in front of it. So that's you... maybe that's another topic. Parkour uh, parties. <laughs> Party parkour. <laughs> parkour. Yeah. Parkour. yeah. Topic. We just got non-paid parkour for I'm sure. I'm not talking college parties because I think everyone knows the answer to that one. I'm talking like you're with your friends at a backyard barbecue because you always get called up there. To do something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's like, jump over the chair. So <laughs> the, t- the, the main topic today that we were trying to answer questions for, and this actually came out of uh, a group of listeners who were asking us, we were asking me last night about the feeling of pressure to achieve and to accomplish things in a small window of time. Now, what I mean by that is, this is that feeling of, I only have a little bit of time to achieve and be successful or maybe get a flip or get a trick or show progress before I feel like the external pressures or whatever, I don't have enough time in life to get done what I want to get done, what I want to, what I want to achieve. Okay. So that's, 
that was actually coming from adults, some in their 30s and 40s, but I hear this from, you know, mm -hmm. teens too. You know, people are like, look, I don't, I got to get this flip before I'm out of high school or I need it today. They're usually more like adults are a little more reasonable. They're like, I think I have like a year or two to get what I want to get. But kids are like, it has to happen tonight. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. But it's the same mindset. So and your window, yeah, your window to completion is definitely very short when you're younger. So what do you guys think? The do you guys? Higher. The urgency is higher. Well, and you, yeah, your little like fruit fly perception of time is <laughs> it's happening. Um, what do you? So what do you guys think? Do do you have enough time to get it done? Is there a window? Does it close? Is it all over? Yeah. Are you done, Rocky? Absolutely. You have a window. Ah, duh, right? We well, what's that window? But, I mean, there's a window of existence. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but I think your window changes. Have to be done within that window. <laughs> <laughs> that is. <laughs> yes, I don't want to be like, oh no, you guys can take over long you want. No, you do have to have a plan, and uh, and your window. I feel like you your window is affected by your training. If you're rushing and you're anxious about it, your window is going to shrink because you're not spending the time to build strength and mobility and. And you're worried about getting it right now, uh, but if you take your time, and you and you learn progressions, and you pick up a lot of other skills along the way. I feel like your window kind of moves out further, right? So, um, but then again, you also have eight-year-olds who ski and do backflips on skis. So it's like you you shouldn't you definitely don't need to be stressing about getting it done in a certain time frame. There are, and if if parkour, if a backflip, or if a cork or what are these, these backflips, flips for these adults, right? Yeah, we're not on flips, too. Yeah, if they're worried about flips, you, you definitely have to take your time on that. And uh, and, and if you rush it, your window's going to shrink real quick because it just takes one injury and then you're yeah. outside your window. You're so, right. So that was going to be my point, is that there's... At some point, yes, you will like not be able to do these things, but I think that that window oscillates a bit based on what your history of athleticism is. I mean, if you've been athletic and you've taken care of yourself your entire life and now you're in your 40s, I think you've got a very big window to do very cool stuff. Now, if you've been overweight, unhealthy, chair-bound for the entirety of your life and now you're in your 40s and good on you for being like, I want to make changes... You have to be realistic and, and notice that 30 years of your life has been sedentary, maybe 40. I'm, I'm giving everybody zero through 10. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result of that, your window is definitely smaller and you need to move at a slower pace. That doesn't mean it's impossible because you may have just like rock star genes that were just like hiding underneath. Yeah, you could have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's possible. That is totally possible. Um, unlikely. You know, I won't give anybody false hope. But right. But unlikely, but everyone else will have this ability except you. That's how it's going to feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's okay, Justin. He's, but, Justin is but yeah, I think, genetics. <laughs> I think regardless of, of your history, you do need to be aware of, you know, the older you are, the slower you want to take it, not just because you're older, but because... The risk of injury is higher. Not, and the, the danger, the, catas the level of catastrophe from injury is higher, right? <laughs> yes. Like a kid, like a 12-year-old can roll his ankle and later that evening yeah. be running around with his friends in the parking lot. Everybody here and listening has stubbed their toe over the age of like 25 and been like, wow, that still hurts tomorrow. Why? Right? So you can only imagine like if you do a backflip and you bail out of it and you bash your knee or you hit your head, 
That's, that's, now you've just lost all of that time that you could have been practicing as well as all of that growth that you would have gained. So there's an opportunity cost there and you need to be aware that like it takes longer to recover. So you need to move slower because injuries are more disastrous for you. Yeah. Than you would be at a younger. I will. I'll go ahead. You're say no, I also wanted to know uh, like what, so what, what do they envision when they say that they have a window to get a skill? What does the skill look like? Are I they think trying to do it off of obstacles because that, that is a very tough one. If you're trying to flip off of something or you're trying to have a flip that you can pull out at any given time, that is a pretty tough uh, yeah. skill to achieve. And what's, your, what's your level of mastery? Yeah, that's but like, if you're like, if I just want to be able to do a backflip and you're not really picky about where you do it, then your window's mm-hmm. huge, right? If you're if you're like, I want to do a backflip on concrete uh, at any wedding I go to at any time. At any wedding, right? <laughs> at any yeah. wedding, yeah. Right. That's, I mean, that's tough. Like, the backflips where the ground is is uh, where the location and your your uh, environment is strict. No. Yeah, it's like you found one. You're fidgety. I did find one. Yeah. Um, found something to play with in the podcast. So be takeaways. You need to be really flexible with where you do your skill in particular, and then you're gonna have a much easier time with your window too. If you, if it's like I just want to do backflip on a trampoline, super easy, and you got plenty of time to learn that. That's true. So there's a couple points I want to make with that because these are really good observations. I'm actually impressed at you guys' ability not being that old to understand what it's like to grow older. And I think that <laughs> I think that, that really comes from just having done movement for a long time. Like, yeah. let's not forget that if you've been sedentary into your 30s, even though you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s or whatever, you've been sedentary that long, you you are not as experienced as someone who's been training, you know, in, into their 20s from their teens when it comes to um, what it's like to train for a long time and not get what you want. So I'm not even talking. So we can adjust the scale from like backflip to, you know, push up to whatever. But that feeling, the psychological effect of plateauing or getting things getting harder to learn is something that even younger movers will have been through a lot. But, and the other thing is, is I don't I think that the window of time is actually very very big and you can always get started. So if you're if your issue is you're starting in your 30s and your 40s or your 20s to be honest and actually in your teens if you're like the way the way that kids are showing up these days as far as like their level of activity and experience coming in. You know, you got a kid who's like literally been on a, an iPad until he was 12 and he walks in, he's not in any better shape. I mean, he has more time, but yeah, it if if you're in that if you're in that position you need you need to be able to focus on um your ability to get healthy first right yeah. so you're saying you want to backflip okay well what other markers of health have you met to, to indicate like are you reaching right <laughs> like i'm worried about my window i need a backflip now because i don't have enough time but your other health is not in check like your ankle doesn't work right you have a, you have an, in- an injury you haven't been able to 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 repair or learn learn to work with but you want to go for the backflip. It's like you have to be humble enough to, to take the time to, to get your health in a place. Because I'll tell you right now, out of shape, even though I've done probably thousands of backflips at this point, out of shape backflip, like I haven't been training a backflip and then and I've been sedentary and then in shape backflip, just to recall that and call it, is way different. Mm-hmm. Like, and I know how to do them. But like the level of how easy it is when you're just in shape to do something athletic like that yeah. is way different. It's like we were talking about earlier with the with the balance. It's like, okay, you can't balance for 30 seconds in calf flexion on the ground, 
but you're beating yourself up because you can't balance for 15 seconds on a rail at any kind of height. Yeah. The baseline physical health is not there. So that's what you got to get in check first. It's true. And you can use the flashy movement or whatever as your incentive to get there. Because let's be honest, like, yeah. oh, I have weak ankles and working on ankles is going to be <laughs> one of the more boring things you're ever going to do. Super boring. Calf raises, 30 reps. Why? You stare at the wall yeah, the whole time. Like, there. <laughs> and, yeah. And you just sit there and you just look at it and you're like, okay, awesome. Cool. But you can be like, no, I recognize that this is going to help me in the long run get this cool, you know, to get this backflip. And that's my end goal. I think that's pretty important. As for like what your window is specifically, I think there's just so many factors in there. But a really big one is also your attitude around approaching that movement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Justin and I's grandpa is now 80. And I would, I would wager that man still mows his <laughs> like six acres in Tennessee by hand. Yeah. He probably still pulls out an old lawnmower, and mostly it's because he's cheap. Um, <laughs> and he's like, nah, I don't need that. I got this perfectly good like 1960s lawnmower that I've been repairing since then. Um, yeah. And would mow that, you know. But he's still like he's very his attitude, even though his his overall health, I would wager, is not that great. His attitude around like I want to go out and still do this thing, is so high mm-hmm. that he still goes out and does these things. Now at some point that that flips and becomes a negative thing, mm-hmm. where, where you think you're better than you are physically, and that's dangerous. But but if there's delusion. Yes, that's when it yeah it turns from confidence into, into delusion ego. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, it's super important that if you're like, oh, I'm too old, that you shut down that talk and you're like, nope, I'm going to get there. I'm going to work on it. Right. But that you're still being realistic. And you're going to find the right process. Yes. And I just had, so I just had somebody, um, one of our, um, mutual students, um, and longtime like family members from the gym, uh, I posted, uh, me doing some like, uh, isometric work or whatever. And it was work on splits. And then they commented. Um, uh, it was Heather, actually. She commented. And she says, hey, so this is great. I'm working on my splits, too. Um, and uh, she said something like, oh, I always remember, you know, because the, in, the, in the picture, I'm not doing the splits. I'm working on the isometric split. So I'm splitting, but I'm not doing all the way to the ground, like showing off. I'm showing the, the isometric balance that happens there. And, and she's like, oh, you know, I, I'm working on the splits myself. And then I always remember the advice that you gave me to earn your progression, to not be too thirsty, to earn each progression. And I was like, oh, I said that. Did you say that, not to be too thirsty? No, I think that I'm going (laughs) to add that to it. I didn't even remember I said earn your progression, but I was like, well, I need to take that advice. That's actually really good. Like, (laughs) and take my own advice sometimes. But what that means is like, don't wait until you've lost the ability even to work at this stuff to enjoy doing it. Because if you if yes. you yeah. if you have the superpower, and I will call this a superpower, to be able to enjoy that journey of learning it, right, and then getting that little victory, and then being able to call that back up six months later and still like, you know, taste the rainbow or whatever, right? That's the skittles, <laughs> the skittles thing to taste that sweet success, right? Or to, or to taste the bitter of having trained that. We're back into food analogy. Sorry. So that is a superpower, right? To be able to just sit there and be like, ah, man, I remember when I, I remember when I, when I met that goal, that felt really good. 
But we spend so much time as people being like that wasn't good enough, mm-hmm. and you taste and just you can only taste it. It's almost like your palate, like a movement palate, is what I was talking about the other day. Like your sophistication of your movement palate is to be able to savor and be like, oh yeah, I remember that took a little bit of like outstanding effort, and there was some community there, and then a little bit of work around. Oh, I didn't think I could do it, and then I did it. That was great. That was really cool. And if I'm just imagining a warm up, that's an awesome skill set because most people yeah. will be like. Work, 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 suffer, 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 suffer. They get that one trick, that one night, that one skill, that one plateau. They climb up the wall, they do the flip, and then for a second, they're like, yes, I did it. And then they just take a step back and they judge it. And like, that wasn't good enough because it had X, Y, and Z wrong with it. Yeah, or they the next day they don't have it. And they beat themselves up when they lost a trick right after they got it, too. That's pretty, That's pretty. I'd say that's more common with, like, children that that I see that where they get something one day like mm-hmm. wall run and they come back the next day and they for practice it, yeah. and they're not getting it and then they like start getting frustrated and they're like teary eyed I just wanna I just but wanna it's act. not it's not uncommon <laughs> it's not uncommon in adults I guess Red I wanna point out that I had no conversation with Jesse about that <laughs> prior to coming on this podcast <laughs> because that that happens pretty frequently with adults like it does. Where they beat themselves up because they lose it. Oh, they're almost worse yeah. as far as like how hard they are on themselves. But so I've seen some kids be pretty hard because kids are get really hard and they're kind of like, I don't know. I'm just more and more convinced that like genetics and like your personality just like you, we, it just carries into adulthood. And I, I <laughs> yeah. see the same behaviors in adults that I see in the kids and I excuse it as like kid behavior. And then I see the same thing. Not that the behavior is childish as an adult. I'm just saying like maybe that behavior is just how, how you're working through things and how you work through things and achieve. And, and so I, I think it, I think some of it is this and it's our responsibility as coaches when someone has that to take a step back and look at what is it you're trying to get done? Like when you say I have a short amount of time to do cool stuff, what is it? Like what, what are you trying to do that you're trying to get done in that time? Yeah. And then why do you place such a high value on that? Because someone's like, Oh, I want to always have the backflip at a wedding. Maybe they're thinking they just want something cool to do at a wedding. Yeah. And it I doesn't just, need to be a backflip. It doesn't need to be a backflip. I can yeah. show you 20 other things that yeah. are going to be cool and you're going to get the attention. You're going to feel like you, you expressed yourself in that Very moment. It's easier to do when drunk. And, le- and safer, <laughs> right? Like you won't want to throw up afterwards. You won't have to buy the right shoes just for that move mm-hmm. to go to a wedding. Because that's what I think about when I look at the shoes at weddings is I'm like, am I going to be able to do some tricks in <laughs> yeah, these bro. shoes when I get to the dance section? Pro, pro tip at like flips at wedding, um, wipe your shoes before you do the flip. Pro tip in general, wipe your shoes. Wipe your shoes. Yeah. But I don't think like people... Yeah, but like, you take your whole flat of your hand. Not post-COVID. flat <laughs> of your foot and you got to do the whole thing. I see a lot of people that are just like... On the ball. And then white. Yeah, it's like, it's gotta be the Yeah, no, with dress shoes, you gotta do the whole shoe. Yeah. I don't care, I'll mess up the calf and I just rub it down the inside of the um of the leg on the pant. That makes me cringe. Think I know, but it's like for me, suit. it's like I can't I know where shoes go. I don't wanna put my hand there and then be like like I also see athletes like basketball players and parkour people for sure, like lick their hand and then do oh, the rub yeah. on the pant. I'm like Come on, folks. You don't need to lick. You, yeah, you yeah. just had no E. coli and everything you could imagine, like doggy doo doo. You're just like putting it all in your mouth and then you're gonna do the jump. That's gonna make you jump worse. Maybe you should sell shoe wipes. Shoe wipes? Yeah. I'm down. I was also, like I said, I, I think the calf that you can Ooh, like wipe yeah. on and then just wipe off, it's a different material. You, you gotta have respect for your clothes, bro. <laughs> I don't respect for my, my, my hand, my skin. Okay, alright, so. <laughs> Watch those. The, so the. Back to windows. Back. 
back to the windows of time. So how is it that, thank you for that, that helped a lot. So how is it that we had defined what it is that we're really trying to get after? Yeah. Right? And so the metaphor I was thinking of the other day, uh, or yesterday rather, that came to me, was that when we're trying to pursue things, it's like climbing a mountain. And if you get to the top and the peak is so narrow that you can't even balance up there, you can't stay up there very long, then it's not going to be very enjoyable because the real skill is building a flat mountaintop. And here's what I mean by that. is building enough things that you find value and that you drive value from, that you can enjoy, that you can experience, that when you're at the level of achievement, people are maintaining the peak. They're pursuing the peak and not maintaining the plateau. Building the plateau, right? Mm-hmm. Because if your mountaintop's very flat and at the top, you're able to sit up there, you can do lunch, you can do, there's room for a backflip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you have a lot of a broad range of things you can do and enjoy. Someone else can come up there with you, yeah. right? You can explore the area and there's a bunch, there's a lot of like, like the, the palette is sophisticated. There's a lot of things you can do and achieve up there. Then that's way better than just saying, I've been chasing a backflip for two years three years, 10 years, whatever, mm-hmm. or I've been chasing a wall run or whatever that very like sort of like specific objective thing is. And when I achieve that, then I'll be happy. Yeah. That's a problem because what happens when you get it and you're not happy? Yeah. And you can't keep it forever. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that plateau analogy. The flat mountaintop. I think it's a good metaphor. It's a great metaphor. How, how are some, because, and I know it works. That's why I'm not, I'm not prepped you guys for this question, but I'm going <laughs> to ask you, how is your how is your uh, um, mountaintop flat? How is it flat? Yeah. How is it that how are you already? Which I'm making assumptions. How are you already finding value, fulfillment, and um, and happiness in in just in doing movement? And it's not just all hinged and levered on like one movement or cool one stuff. trick or one modality, right? So we only have a small window of time to do cool stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, how is it that you guys? Have extended that window, right? Well, I think my uh, my social media following following would would tell you that I haven't posted in a very long time. Um, so for me, but I've been happy with my movement. Um, and the other day when we were like, like on Sunday when we were at the gym and we were just doing some flips, like those are probably the first flips I had thrown in maybe six to ten months somewhere around that right yeah we're 45 minutes into doing some like top rock and then you call like a spontaneous backflip oh yeah check yeah backflip check yeah you're right pull that out Same here. So <laughs> i think i think for me the way that i've extended that window is one that i've just found other interests that are movement related that i find the complexity to be the same or higher than skills that i already have right and i'm nurturing those but i'm not ignoring the skills that I worked hard to get and I try and pull them out every now and then and be like oh hey I need to check in on that is that still a skill that I have right like corks do I still have those I worked really hard to get that skill because there was no one at the time that I you know learned it that even knew how to teach it right so it was a very self-taught journey so I kind of tab in on there and, and check and make sure that's still a skill I have but it's not my priority um when you say movement complexity, like, so let's say you have your movement palette, right? Uh-huh. What's, what, what are the flavors? Like, what are you able to taste? Why is it that it's just not just like sweet and sour? Um, I, for me, it's, it's a couple of different things. It's, does it scale with age? Um, a cork, I probably won't be doing at 80, although I'm going to do my best to try and get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but can I dance at 80? 
Absolutely. Will I be doing flares at 80? Again, I'm going to do my best to get there, but probably not. <laughs> um, you, you know? Yeah, you, it seems like, whoa. Not air flares, just regular flares, okay? Maybe one. I don't have the rep of uh, But for me, so uh, what I look for in the move is, does it scale with age? Can it be applied to multiple different scenarios? And is it inherently risky for me? So um, what's one of those that scales with age, has complexity, but is risky for me? Um, roof gaps. You can find a roof gap that's like this, and you could definitely jump that at 80. Mm-hmm. It scales with age because you just find a smaller roof gap. It's complex because it's a high-risk skill, and there's a lot of stimulus going on. But the risk of failure is super high, and I don't enjoy that. Like, I don't get off on that. No, sort of yeah. the danger is very the danger. high. Yeah. So for me, when I'm looking at maintaining my plateau, I'm looking at those three things, right? Dance, very low risk of injury, right? Very complex, can get very complex, and scales great with age. Um, but then I like to I like to tab in on on the past moves that like. So what parkour. elements of parkour are like that too? And I like to also circle back on real quick to to pin you down, we'll let Justin answer to you, but um, think about like what, so I feel, I view those as almost more of the, of the dish, not the actual like palate. Like, you I mean like, like not, that's not the flavor. Like, why is it that even doing any of that matters to you like experientially? Like why, why are those even, what's even enjoyable about that? Like you did the roof gap. Okay, you started to kind of talk about it a little bit. Just, there's a lot of stimulus and stuff going on there, but why does, why does it even matter to do a roof gap? Like why? Well, it doesn't to me okay. right now. Um, yeah, oh, I, I could not do another roof cap for the rest of my life, and I'd, I'd be just as happy. And is, is that because you can call on that experience in the past, though, too? Is that uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely done a decent amount of them, and, and I just don't find that, like, the there's enough depth spice. And, yeah. There's depth. Yeah, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's not enough. Yeah. There's enough literal depth. I guess compared to the other things that I do, there's not enough complexity in that singular skill um, that attracts me to it. So Justin, what in parkour? Um, well, so that I'm, I so I hear what you were saying there. The the longevity and the ability to go back and do those things and still experience them is is a huge lever for you. Then, like the ability to to continue to do that movement seems to matter a lot. Yes, and if yeah, if I guess if. It's been 10 years since I've done a roof gap and I see a really simple one and I've still been jumping. I may be like, you know what, I'm gonna go do that because I haven't done it in 10 years and give it a shot. Sure, Mm -hmm. I might do that. Mm -hmm. What, so what about you, Justin? Uh, Say your question again. So basically, what is it that makes the, that which you value more sophisticated because jesse was saying well i'm looking for these more complex movements instead of being like how so how are you making your mountaintop flat oh okay uh i'm definitely um satisfied with what i've done in the past so i don't feel like i need to prove to myself that i need to do more things um i want to do a lot of things but i've done so much in 15 years of doing parkour that i feel like i do have a point in my life where i'm not too worried about proving any other points. Um, so, but that's a skill that I could have had way earlier because definitely my journey was almost from, for the first, at least five years, maybe the first 10 years was trying to prove points to the rest of the community that you could do cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely could have learned 
from my current self and taught my past self, you know, that, that uh, there's just so much enjoyment in the things that I'm already doing that trying to learn new things to prove to other people is, is, is usually going to put you in the higher risk category of skills. If you're trying to impress people, um, then that usually means that you got to do stuff that they haven't seen before. So if that's, uh, that if your peak is impressing people with things that they can't do, then I feel like your peak is going to get pretty small. So I say do things that, uh, that you enjoy and that feel good while they're doing them. And, and for me, that is without risk right now. My plateau is big because there's a lot of things I can do without risk and, and I'm not pushing flips or techniques that put me in high risk. So you're building a broader like repertoire to, and but that enables you, right? So if the only thing you can focus on is one flip, if that's the only thing you know, mm-hmm. what you really need to do is build on build your vocabulary because the vocabulary yeah. is essentially the palette, right? Because yeah. then you have more options. But then you also need the attempt, the ability to be mindful and have the attention enough to enjoy it. And and to be honest, like the um, appreciation for your ability to do really anything and, and fostering that and that sensitivity, I think is super important in your training. Because my when I think back peak experiences and what I enjoy doing and training, you know, I lost a lot from COVID, which was working with my students or training with other people or training myself in an environment where I wasn't having to wear a mask. <laughs> you know, it's like that all of those things, you lose them. And then you're like, oh, if I could just do that right now, that's really, I was getting a lot of fulfillment out of that. And if you don't have the awareness, so sometimes there's the mindfulness exercise that I've seen done. I think we need like the movement equivalent of this um, for, as part of the, the disciplines that we employ is uh, where you do like the blindfolded um, meals, taste testing meals. Have you seen those done before? Where people will basically, they'll like put a blindfold on and you're eating something like cake or dessert or you're going through a meal and then you're really paying attention to the taste. And then people who do this report back saying that they that the things tasted so much more, they, they tasted so much better, and there was so much more awareness around the flavor, and that the experience was a very peak experience. I had like Nova accidentally ended up doing this on one of her like kids' iPads app, and always talks about how this one time she had some like, I don't know, either crackers or cookies or something like that, and they were like, the best cookie she'd ever had, but just because she was taking the moment to like really taste it and, en- and enjoy it and savor it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a skill set. I think that's, a, that's a, the ability to go in and have a training session. And we've talked about this recently and make, make a training session enjoyable Yeah, is important, right? I mean, you're saying, you were saying recently that's something you even look for in, in who you're training with is people who can actually enjoy the session when you're training with a group, right? Yeah, I think I, th- think I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, so, so I think there's that. There is um, the ability to also, as you're climbing your, towards your flat mountaintop, to stop. There's plenty of opportunities to stop along that way and just take a look back at what you've done and the progressions you've come through and just have some respect for that and enjoy that to some degree. It, I'm not saying don't be ambitious. I'm not saying don't climb the mountain. But it, it almost looks like um, ungrateful when when even as a coach when you're watching students they show progress and you can see where they were and where they've come from but it's frustrating when they can't even see their own growth or development through yeah. that you're like what well, what's the missing link there yeah it gotta be ch- i i feel like it's a, it's ego you're trying to prove something to someone yourself or other people yeah that can be yourself 
Because if you're not taking the advice uh, when someone's saying, look at where you've been, look at what you can do, uh, look at what you've accomplished, and that's not enough for you, like, uh, man, it's got to be ego. It's got to be too much, uh, yeah, you're too hard on yourself. Um, but yeah. So I, 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 when you do have an achievement, you're looking back at the things that you did accomplish. So just go through this exercise right now. Just like think about something that you worked towards. Maybe you got it, maybe you didn't get it. But think back to the, to the different plateaus that you had where you were able to, where you should have and you could have taken a step back and really enjoyed it and been like, this is something that I, that I achieved that, that mattered a lot to me, that, that surprised me when I did it. And then being able to go back and taste that moment in the same way. I think that is an awesome skill set that helps alleviate things like regret. Because a lot of what people are running from is regret. They're worried they're going to get too old or get too deep yeah. into something else and they're going to lose sight about what they're passionate about or their achievement or what they thought it would feel like to do something. Yeah. And also understand there's something, there's a difference between watching something be done and how that makes you feel and being the one to do it too. Because we talk about this with the competition. You, if we're talking about you experiencing something for the enjoyment of it, you probably aren't going to be competing at a high level for the goal of how it feels to, how good it feels to do that, right? You're doing it for other reasons. Yeah. Um, and maybe something like training with a group of friends or working on a progression in an environment that's comfortable is gonna be better for you than, is gonna just be more, you're getting more joy, derive more joy from that than, than actually hitting that movement. Although I will say, have you guys been around someone, achieve something that they've been working on, like break, you know, when they break through getting a move or a trick right we've been on that like the wall runs for kids and the band challenges oh yeah like seeing somebody land their first trick being there for that is it's really cool yeah, yeah. the energy is very high very awesome to be in that sort of moment and be able to celebrate that with somebody um i think something that's worth mentioning around um like just skills or goals in general is you know um Edo Portal says, right? Like some some skills or some things are windows and some skills are doors, right? Mm -hmm. And for example, in the parkour realm, a back tuck is a door, but if you're not a parkour person, it may be a window skill for you. And what I mean by that is that windows are great and they allow you to see a very long way and they allow you to see a whole world of new things as opposed to a wall, right? But the difference in that is a door allows you to enter that new realm and access those things that you see. So a very high level skill, I'll just take like a very high level tricking skill, may be a window for you. It's very cool. It's nice to have you. You should have a few of those window skills. But will um, a double cork help you get stronger and run up the stairs and play with your kids probably not or will right? just a double cork even be something that you could throw continuously and even get that much intention and fulfillment from like if yeah. that was the only thing you did and even if you went to place to venues in which that was impressive if you just continuously threw that people would be like oh <laughs> oh but eventually like just imagine like a battle where you just the person just throws double corks the whole time. You're like, yeah, or even triples, and you're like, okay, we get it, dude. That was awesome, but you're you're not gonna. The, the, the. Yeah, it just it's it's like the it's the end of the road, right? 
and yes and and it doesn't there's no more on that road because there's no doorway to walk through so if your goal or your skill is a window skill and it's going to take you five years to get there because you're starting at the age of 40 or 50 or 60 and you're like okay realistically i have ankle issues i have mobility issues that i need to and then i can work on strength issues um and it's going to take you five years to get there then maybe that skill is not one that you need to work on if it's a window yeah. at the end, right? Maybe instead you want to pick a door skill. Work on those door skills. Because then also the benefit of it's very hard to slide back through a door, right? Like if, if you've got a backflip and then this is just a, a layman's example, but if you have a backflip and then you learn to double backflip and then somehow magically you're the first person in the world to get a triple backflip, how long is it going to take before you lose a regular back tuck? Mm-hmm. It's going to take you a very long time, right? But you've walked through several doors at that point to get to another level of skill so that even when you do age and you do lose focus on these things, your fallback from your like top of the mountain, you have so many plateaus below before you hit the base of the mountain that you can always go back to that next plateau. And on the way back down or the way back up, if you fell off, you can stop along the way. Like that's happened yeah. a lot for me for, for, for injuries and whatever. Sometimes I'll go back through older like um, martial arts skills or other skill sets that I built on and I'm going to stop and I just enjoy it again. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go back through this. I, I did this as a beginner. I'm going to do it again. And oh, this is really cool. I kind of forgot. I'm better at this now. I like it. Mm-hmm. You know, you run into that, especially with the fundamentals. And like you're saying, if your peak's so narrow that it's this one skill and that's the peak of your mountain, it's going to be very hard to maintain and sit atop on that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you fall oh. up, it's a long fall down. <laughs> For, a, for like yeah. a one-handed hand balancer, that wasn't your only thing, but I mean, like I'm saying, that's it. That's the example who has a like wrist injury. Yeah, no, that's you know? that's a good point. Yeah, if you're like if you're all about hand balancing and then suddenly you lose your hands in a horrific car accident, God forbid that happens. I mean, you could just have injury from chronic use. Yeah, like you don't even need to be a catastrophe. That's where most of it happens, right? You see, oh, I was doing hand balancing, then my wrist started bothering me too much, and then I stopped. Okay, what do you do now? Meh. Yeah, and then it's like, oh, well, there goes, you know, <laughs> 10 years of really hard focus and potentially a career for you. Mm. Just whoop. And the only way to experience that joy. Unless you have the superpower of being able to go back in your mind and, and enjoy, that, yeah. enjoy, yeah. the, enjoy that from the past, right? It's like I did, the metaphor I gave yesterday when I brought that up was like uh, freezing your wedding cake. You know, have you guys heard of that ritual? Mm-hmm. So like when people get married, what they'll do is they'll freeze their wedding cake and then in their anniversaries, thaw pieces of it and eat it through the rest of their life, which I don't know at what point that becomes. It's like only one year. You only get about a year. <laughs> Man, no, I've heard people go further. We can we can oh, research as to I how mean, far you can go with frozen cake. I know people will do that. <laughs> I'm saying there's maybe particular types of cake that are better for that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe denser yeah. cakes. You're just doing some freezer burnt cake. Hopefully your relationship doesn't taste like that five years, ten years in. <laughs> so, uh, so the so there's that that aspect of it. I would say also that do you have enough time? I think anybody who's out there is thinking, who's who's of the mindset that they're going to achieve something and get it done, and they're going to find enjoyment from that, and they're excited about the process. That alone is gift enough. There are so many people who are just not motivated enough to do anything mm-hmm. or find any sort of joy or excitement about a process. Just respect that. Yeah. That alone is awesome. Yeah. And then I also say that people, as we um, as we value movement and fitness and health more and what we can do recreationally with our bodies, 
those those that the lifeline or not the the lifespan of that or the health span of that is getting pushed out. So we're seeing more and more people who are older who weren't just focused on survival of the past who've been able to focus on these disciplines become better and better. It's not super uncommon to see 40-year-olds doing backflips. But when I was growing up, like a 40-year-old who did a backflip, what? Not <laughs> like not a thing. But now it's like if someone comes and does it or gets it or the people we've seen do it or have taught at that age, we're like, oh, that's good. They're they're really pushing the limits. But I'm not like, my jaw's not dropped. I'm not going to write anybody about it. You know, and be like, oh, I can't believe I just saw this happen. But like the stuff I will is like, I've seen that the old Chinese guys, the calisthenics guys in oh, China gosh. with like, who's like 80 years old with a yeah. one arm chin. Like yeah. that I'm like still wow about. Okay. But yeah. Um, if, uh, if, so I want to throw this in there. Yeah, if backflip is the skill that you guys are worried about the window closing on, it you have a really large window for backflip. You do. I mean, there's not even I'm not even counting like backflips off of a boat into a water. Like I mean the the window for backflips is they're just it's almost like our bodies were designed to do backflips. The posterior chain is so strong, mm-hmm. and uh, and most of the, and some of the times you could just fall off a ledge into a backflip. So. If, you, if, if I, people are worried about that, there's definitely enough time for it. Yeah. Other flips, yeah, too. It is not to diminish anybody who worked hard on a back tuck. Um, it is a very simple yeah, uh, mechanical flip. It's a reasonably high box jump backwards with confidence. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so there is, like, a limit on, like, your athletic ability and whatnot. Um so you do need some athletic ability, but that can be compensated with height. Like once you have yeah. to understand like, you know, into a foam pit or into a mat or something. And it's like so that. like it's so symmetrical that like you just everything is being used at the same time at the same amount of forces. So I mean I feel like back is pretty safe. The only part is the fear. If you're dealing with fear the, that's the heart. So you don't want to be doing backflips with when you're fear. Afraid. Fear will make those Or delusionally things. confident. <laughs> that comes with age too apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the other thing I want to say, and just a couple things before we wrap up today, the, um, I want to say that one of the things that I think is, is older and interesting and one, and I don't know many people that have done this is, um, so some of the more, inter- some of the more interesting movements, those asymmetrical twisting movements, A twist, B twist, corks, I think those I would put as more sophisticated things, maybe potentially doors, depending on what you kind of do with them or where they would go. But, um, maybe, maybe A twist and B twist being a little more that way. Um, but I got my first, um, corks at 34. So I think that's another, when we talk about like just calling out things that you got later on in life, I didn't, I was not landing corks until I was 34 and I haven't maintenanced them real well, but, um, the, but consistently and they looked pretty good. So that is something that one of those things where it's like, I thought, okay, when I'm in my thirties, before I'm 35, I'm going to get a cork and I got the cork. And I, but I gave time for that journey. Like I already had B twists, so I wasn't coming from nothing. I was respecting that. Yeah. Um, I was already spicy and kicky from the other stuff I was doing athletically. And then I had the right equipment tools and I was committed to a process of doing it, not hucking and hoping. Right. So I was very focused on the feeling and revisiting. And like what you're saying is you're not just going to throw tricks into the ground, um, you know, or run against a wall into perpetuity. If you're failing something more than three times, you're going to take a step back and adjust your approach. Yeah. Recording yourself can have a tremendous effect on this. Although yeah. if you've never recorded yourself before, be ready to be really judgy about yourself, <laughs> right? But getting comfortable recording yourself and fixing those things is going to be a difference that can help in, yeah. in, in the process tremendously. And then also just 
allowing for, for more and more people to achieve in this way, you know, we won't know if this is something that people who are going to be able to sustainably do this stuff in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, we see some outliers, but we won't know for another 10 or 20 years because these disciplines and these habits have just not been around that long. Yeah. So we have to wait and see really how long people can be doing this. But I will tell you, I have athletes in their 60s who are still discovering parkour. And that's that's amazing to me. And so I know that you have plenty of time to be doing it. And we're not, and we're not, I'm not saying that these folks are doing some of the bigger moves, but they're doing, you know, they're doing stuff that's very obviously parkour. And, and for them, they're having a similar experience as to what it would be for anyone of any age to, to go through that and learn that. So as for, before we close today, we, we talked about the windows and the doors. What are the, what are the doors of parkour? Like what are skills that like when someone says, I want to learn a backflip to me, we're using those references because they're very easy for anyone listening to understand what those movements are. Mm-hmm. But if someone were to come to me and say, oh, I want to learn a B-twist, I'd be like, ooh, that's harder. So I'm going to be like, ah, the actual approach is going to be more challenging. But somehow I respect that pursuit more because to me, the B-twist is more of an interesting movement. I see more complexity in it, like you were talking about the complexity mm-hmm. overall. So when in parkour, what are you know, some of the door movements, I'll kick it off by saying I feel like climb up. Oh yeah. Climb up's a, yeah, yeah. a huge tour. For sure. Yeah, and then there's yeah, jumping precisions across uh, boxes there, a pretty big uh, door, but project on the ground would be your door before that. Uh, Lachey's. Lachey's. Lachey's, so getting off the bar and onto anything mm-hmm. <laughs> upright from your uh from your hands to your feet i think that's a pretty huge thing and or the even lache re-grab because i see a lot of people posting on instagram you know as lots of ocr ninja folks who will do the swing on the lache well they're not really they're kind of, i think they're technically doing a lache but it's not a re-grab so they're going from one bar to the other and it's where they have the big swing and they throw and then they grab on and then the body just like boom slumps like swings forward and in versus being able to continue that into another movement even if that's just like a 360 turnaround or something like that it doesn't have to be a flyaway or anything like that so climb ups broad jumps i think are definitely a thing yeah broad jumps are a huge one um and then i think probably your ability to stride so single leg plyometric jumps are arguably after you get like your climb up and your like basic jumps down that's probably the biggest door for you because it allows you to do skills at speed, which is really the premise of parkour is like, cool, you can climb up that building. Now, how fast can you climb up the building, right? But if you can just like stride and you're like tacking your way up there, like, and that's all single leg plyometric skill. So I'd say, yeah, single leg single leg plyos are a huge door in parkour. Exactly. I'm super glad you brought that one up because when I imagine like me being older or if uh, coming at a point where I'm more focused on the finesse and less on the gross movement of like a wall run or a big jump, what I'm going to be working on, I kind of imagine myself as like a boxer of feet with like strides and tacks and footwork, right? Mm -hmm. Like I look at a scattered group of low obstacles and I'm able to be like, you know, okay, two, one, two, two, you know, one steps versus two steps, two, one, two, two, same leg, like a uh, ghost or miss leg step. And then being able to hit this fancy light footwork. Like I love when I have new people come in and they're like, oh, what do you do? I couldn't hear it. <laughs> like that's cool, right? That's when, so when I'm older and I'm just like, people are like, well, show me the finesse. Like you could jump, you know, back in the day you could jump 
nine feet or you could do these big moves or you could do these strides like show me what you can do now show me some parkour and we're outside and there's rocks or trees and i'm just like and then like there's no sound and the footwork is subtly complicated like a boxer's footwork like like a really good boxer's footwork or like the mitt work they're not hitting super hard but it's like pop 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 right and you're just like oh wait how did they do that that's really cool that's what I want to have with my footwork. So I'm, I, I think yeah. that's super cool, which is why I spend so much time with my adults on learning the different footwork patterns of jumping from two, one, two, two, one, basically playing what I, what I'm calling parkour hopscotch Yeah. and getting really good at that. Um, but sometimes they look past that and they look at the wall runner, they look at the, the backflip and they're like, Oh, what am I going to do? Like, you don't understand. You were already doing the cool stuff. You just can't see it yet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were doing the coolest stuff. You can't see it yet, and the sad thing is, is yeah, not everybody's gonna be impressed by it because the deep, you know, it's back to the culinary references, like the really deep, sophisticated flavors. It takes somebody with a sophisticated palate to figure out, but they're very rich and enjoyable. Oh yeah, just like Justin said, if you're doing things because you want to appeal to other people, then you know that's why you're gonna suffer, is because it there's a very small like group of people who can actually appreciate. Yep. Yeah, and also if. If you're if you have to do a really crazy skill to impress people, uh, someone with more style can always come along <laughs> and show you up. Like style is definitely the more important aspect if you're trying to impress other people or if you're trying to have something that uh, solicits a reaction. So you, I could always do a backflip, and then if some a dancer comes up and does moves, they, they I feel like they always win. They yeah. always steal the show. So if you're at the wedding, we're in the wedding yeah. scenario, and you come out and you hook the backflip, you're like, oh. And then somebody answers up and they basically lecture you through movement. Like you, <laughs> you clap back once and they come out and yeah. just have this whole freaking like beef with you it, through footwork. You just like, you're not coming back out again. No. We, we often say like that, that flips are like punctuation or exclamation. They're exclamation marks. Right? So if you come out on the dance floor and you do a backflip, you're like, Hey, yeah. But hey. if a dancer comes out, they're yeah. like, Hey, what's up, man? How are you doing? Yeah. And they have like a whole, what are you like, up to today? And you're like, Hey! You're like, hey! You're like, yeah, I saw your back flip, it really stinks. Check out this footwork. Ah, uh, see, I get all the looks. And then you're like, hey! I, wanna, I do want to say, too, though, like, um, wait, are we even it's talking like, it's here? Like kids, when you, um, like, when you do a back flip, or you'll see kids and they're like, do a back flip, and then you do a back flip, and then they, what's the immediate next thing they say? Double back flip. Do a double! Right? Because they're just not satisfied. Adults do that same thing. Yeah. Um, if, if you're a parkour person and you do that, um, my favorite thing to respond to that, just like a little tip, is I don't work for free. And it, sound, it comes off very pretentious, and I don't mean pay. What I mean is if a kid comes up and says, do a backflip, I'm like, okay, cool, but you have to do a cool trick for me too. Mm, yeah. And for them, their cool trick is like a cartwheel or something like that. But I think that's a beautiful way to like to like – stimulate some community mm -hmm. because every parent that I've done that like with their kid where their kid's like do a backflip and I'm like okay I'll do a backflip but you've got to show me a cool trick too and they're like I don't have any cool tricks and I'm like yeah you do and then they do like a cartwheel or something and we celebrate and then I do my backflip and then they're like do another one and I'm like ah but you know the trade <laughs> you have to show me another cool trick right that's an easy way because I guarantee as a parkour person you have far more tricks than a kid you'll eventually shut them up. Like, uh, I don't have any more tricks. But anybody else that's watching that interaction is going to look at you and parkour positively, and they're going to be like, oh, that was really cool. Like, Yeah, I mean, this is introducing like a, a movement as conversation, and this is something that, that people who do battles are, are really capable of already doing 
and it's something it's another way that you could have fulfillment yeah yeah so like if you have like like b-boy or if you have um tricking battles or if you have style battles as well um then you're able to you're able to to not feel um attacked by that or you can you can you can enjoy it it's like part of the, it says you were having the conversation you weren't just trying to one-up somebody yep you weren't there for the audience it becomes less about the audience and more about you you're drawing them in and showing them your way of communicating yep. which is a really which is another great way to enjoy enjoy movement or just yep. training together is a good way too so in summary you have time you have a window yep you have time. time but that but the focus needs to be on building the palette yeah. the flat mountaintop Taking yeah. the time to enjoy the plateaus and look back at your accomplishment. Sit down, have a little brevet. Yeah. You got a ways to go, brevet. but you know, doesn't mean that doesn't mean you can't enjoy and earn your earn your progressions. It's true. Awesome, you guys. I love this one. Cool. It's good. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.